0: Ava Haller is a much-honored nonprofit leader and philanthropist. For the past three decades, she and her husband, Dr. Yoel Haller, have been devoted to social, educational, and environmental activism. Earlier in her life, she was co-founder of the Campaign Communications Institute of America, a highly successful consulting firm that revolutionized the use of telephone marketing by Fortune 100 companies and political campaigns. For more than 17 years, she served as board chair of Free the Children USA, now part of WE Charity, which partners with communities to work from within to break the cycle of poverty. She is a trustee of the Rubin Museum of Art and the University of California Santa Barbara Foundation and serves on the boards of the Creative Visions Foundation, Sing for Hope, Video Volunteers, Asia Initiatives, and A Blade of Grass. In 2015, she was appointed to the advisory of the Prince's Charities, the Canadian charitable office of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. You have an extraordinary life story, including escaping from Hungary as a young woman after World War II, making your way to South America and then to New York, marrying a man who became the first love of your life and building with him a very influential public relations firm that specialized in political races. I'd like to begin by asking you to read the piece you wrote for the Unmasked Women Write About Sex and Intimacy anthology that came out last fall.
1: I love to do that. It's, it's been such a, such a privilege. It's called Philemon and Bausis. Long, long ago on a high hill in Greece stood a beautiful linden tree its branches intertwined with a mighty oak. The two trees were once Philemon and Bausis, two young lovers whose love was so strong, their life so gentle, that when it came time for their departure from this earth, Zeus granted their wish and turned them into these two magnificent trees. My father often told me this story as I was falling asleep, And I remember how as a child I envisioned my parents' arms intertwined walking down a Greek hill. My father called my mother Bausis, and my mother, who was not a scholar of ancient legend, somewhat reluctantly and quietly, called my father Philemon. I lived my first 18 years with this tender couple learning acceptance, care, and quiet sexuality. When my father became ill, my mother became a full-time nurse and turned her love into devotion. They were a loyal couple. So I learned about marriage from these intertwined trees and it came into full use in my life story. I married an amazing man, larger than life, brilliant in every way. He loved me bigger than life and he stretched me giving me self-confidence applauding my achievements and giving me courage to be more than me and then he died life was not much fun without him and sex was not interesting with anyone else though god knows i tried to hide my pain behind acting out sexually sex is no fun without joy Sex is not a sport activity, nor is it a way to develop a deep relationship. We humans need other forms of communication and understanding to accompany the act of love. I remember bursting into tears when a kind man put his jacket on my shoulders at a dinner party one night. The awareness of each other's needs is so important and meaningful. Then, After a few years of frustrating widowhood, I met a man who equally suffered the loss of the love of his life. We found joy in each other because we had joy in our past partners. Finding new love and growing old together is simply wonderful. We are both 87 years old and enjoy lovemaking. Is it different than when we were younger? Oh, yes there is gratitude, a huge portion of tenderness, a bit of fear, because what if we no longer have each other? Caressing an old body is softer, gravity has added its sculptural aspects, and the words accompanying sex are more about gratitude and appreciation. It is so interesting to note that when one talks to young people about having a sex life, there often is embarrassment on their part, as if one should, one should not, or could not, have sex after a certain age. There's no time limit for caring for each other, no physical reason to stop wanting one's mate. Philemon and Bausis lived a very long life. They became stooped, wrinkled, forgetful, and each year they wanted more years to enjoy each other. The only request they had from Zeus was that they leave the earth together, and so they did. Would you like me to redo the the last two paragraphs where I screwed
0: up?
1: Uh, yeah, I didn't see here you screw up, but go ahead. It is so interesting to note that when one talks to young people about having a sex life, there often is embarrassment on their part, as if one should not or could not have sex after a certain age. There's no time limit for caring for each other, no physical reason to stop wanting one's mate. Philemon and Baucis lived a very long time. They became stooped, wrinkled, forgetful, and each year they wanted more years to enjoy each other. The only request they had from Zeus was that they leave this earth together, and so, they did.
0: Wonderful. Philemona and Balsus is such a lovely story and was a wonderful example for you growing up. How did your parents' lives influence you in other ways?
1: They worked together. My father was a, a vice president of Assecurazione Generale de Trieste, a, an insurance company that had its offices of course in Trieste and in Italy, but also had a major office in Budapest. And my mother would go in and work with him Mm. very often, not full-time, and they enjoyed working together. My father loved real estate,
2: Mm.
1: and uh, that was his hobby. Mm. And mother encouraged him, and he would buy, and mother would look at it, and mother would decorate Mm. the Mm. homes that my father uh, found for us. So what I saw at home was that uh, being together as often as possible is was the right thing, the best thing, the most joyous thing. Both of them enjoyed the beach and swimming, so we had a summer home on the Danube. Mm-hmm. And as a young kid, that's what we did. And of course, since my life was departmentalized through the war and, you know, there was a life before war, Mm -hmm. there was a life during war, and then there was uh, a life after war, and I think that when you ask me about how my life was formed or what I saw at home, I'm really referring mostly to before Hitler time. Mm because after Hitler there was no summer home, there was no real estate, there was no father going to work and mother joining or any of any of those things and then during Stalin of course again, were, by that time my father had his heart attack and my mother sort of became his nurse
0: Aww.
1: so, uh, yeah
0: And so did he die soon after or how long did your parents live?
1: My father was alive up to the he died in 1952. He he was an old man. Well, my father was born in 1883. I mean, oh, wow. centuries ago. My mother was 21 years younger. Mm. So um, he lasted after the war. Just a, a, during, he died during the Stalin era. Yeah. Oh. And uh, and mother stayed and. Uh, she was planning to um, come and join me in America and she did, she did so after my son was born because oh. she said she wanted to come. And she lived here in America with us for a while, oh, nice. until she died.
0: So. That's nice. Oh, yeah. lovely. So you're now 88. And a half. And a half. <laughs> and you've been married to your husband, Joel, the second love of your life. For some number of years, almost 30? Almost 31. Almost 31 years. How has love and intimacy changed for you over the years? I don't know
1: if it has. You know, uh, if you are a person, you know, so many people have different personalities. Mm. I really love being married. Mm. Some people really don't need to be married. I just love, you know, if I go food shopping, I shop for us. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When I go into a department store or a store, I look for something for him, a shirt or or even socks or whatever. So when when my husband died, my late husband died, I just couldn't imagine going into a store to buy food. or, I just missed the intimacy of two people together. And... uh, there is something about that intimacy that confidence in each other that that kind of a a, a message we send each other all the time that uh, is is if you love somebody you'll have it whether it is the first partner maybe it was different we were younger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we had different needs I was a less formed person he was a very strong man and he really formed me mm-hmm. and informed me. Yo, mm-hmm. uh, my husband, is a very accepting man and an mm-hmm. encouraging man and a softer man. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes thought in the beginning that if you would have been my first husband, I would have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, I, it, I needed, after not having had much of a childhood, somebody who was a very strong lover, but also a leading figure.
0: Yeah. Tell the story of how you met Yol, which is such a sweet, sweet story.
1: Well, he and I were both widowed, and both of us were at Rancho La Puerta, which is sort of like a spa. It's a lovely kind of a, not very elegant, not a very sophisticated spa, across the border in Mexico. And we were both there, and there were about 120 women to about seven men. (laughs) So I never saw him. I heard about him. That was this most eligible uh, surgeon, bachelor from San Francisco there, whom the women were trying to uh, attract. I never met him. And then on the bus on the way back from Mexico to the airport in San Diego, um, he sat down next to me in, in the bus and uh, started talking because that's what he does he relates he mm-hmm. relates to everybody anybody everywhere he does and i i really didn't feel like i wanted to talk to him because instead of in that one week where i hoped to heal more of my soul and my body i got bronchitis oh and i felt miserable and i was wearing a sweatsuit and i didn't shower and my Hair was a mess and whatever else, <laughs> and this gibbering, sweet, interested man starts talking to me, <laughs> and I just really didn't want to. But he pursued, mm-hmm. and so by the time we got to the airport, he decided he wanted to marry this woman. <laughs> and you know what is so interesting? That both my husband, my first love of my life, and my husband today. When I asked, and both of them said that within the first hour they made this decision that they're going to marry me. And I said, why? And both of them said, but with very different words, they wanted to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that any of my friends look at me as somebody who needs taken care of. I would agree. <laughs> but there is something, obviously, that I have shared with both of them that created the feeling from them that they wanted to take care of me yeah and that was nice I, I once I I understood where they came from and what they wanted to share with me, I was delighted and I've been so lucky
0: and you and I agree with you and wouldn't you say that um, all of us need to feel like someone wants to take care of us so perhaps we are also attracted to someone that we want to take care of, as well as the other way around. Totally, because
1: if it would be the kind of a person that we feel just want to take care of us, we would feel controlled.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And
1: Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us want to be controlled. We want to share. I agree. And so, Mm -hmm. no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what advice would you give your children and grandchildren about finding a
1: life partner? So far they've done pretty good actually. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, I remember telling my son, don't look for somebody who is less than you. Mm-hmm. Look for somebody who is more than you. Look for a partner whom you can look up to, that you can respect. Because if you don't, you'll get bored. You want challenge in your life, intellectual and emotional stimulation. Well, boy, did he follow. Good. He <laughs> certainly married. He listened to his mama. He certainly married a very um, uh, strong. Well, she's a superior court justice. Oh, wow! Well, my, yes, my daughter-in-law, you know. and has been a very distinguished jurist. And they have now been married for thirty-seven years. Wow! And have two grown kids and grandkids, and they they are an exemplar marriage. They really are a fantastic couple. That's amazing. So yeah, wonderful. So it, it they they, my my son was a playboy, and I was very concerned about how he's going to uh, get bored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm if he marries somebody who is not more than equal yeah. to him well she yeah. certainly has proven to be so excellent yeah.
0: excellent if you could tell someone one thing to pay attention to in a relationship what would it be
1: listen mm-hmm. listen to each other mm-hmm. hear what your partner is saying even when they don't say a word mm-hmm. because you can, when you are living with somebody, the intimacy makes it such that you can hear them even when there's no sound. Mm -hmm. And you can feel their discomfort, their anxiety, their pain, and respond to their pain as well as to their joy. Be there for each other. Uh, Don't take time out. And one thing that I often think of when I hear people say, We are working on our relationship. Mm. I always feel, ouch. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you have a relationship you have to work on, maybe you should think about it. Mm. It's not what we do with relationships. We work at our work. Relationship is not a task. Relationship is accommodation of emotions and senses and intellect. And... Space, Mm -hmm. give each other space but be there for each other and you know it's not hard if you love if you don't love your partner then you are working on it don't work on your relationship Mm -hmm. if it's that hard to work then find another one Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Eva Haller it's been such a, a wonderful privilege to talk with you today thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's my
1: privilege I enjoy it very very much